Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 719 for the 13th of November, 2020. This week, I always enjoy working with individual developers who create small, specialized utility applications. Near Sofer is one of these people. He has created more than 100 utilities, and this week I'll tell you about five that I consider to be quite useful. In short circuits, have you put off upgrading some of the major hardware components in your computer because you fear it will invalidate the Windows 10 license? Performing a few steps in advance will eliminate that concern. Google will ship a new Chromecast device before the end of the year. It's priced well, comes with a remote control, and even offers an on-screen menu. In spare parts, only on the website, People are using online payment systems more these days because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but concerns about being victimized online are inching up. Schools in low-income areas are hard-pressed to provide quality online classes, and that's probably not a very big surprise. And 20 years ago, Bill Gates was discounting the need for classrooms in third world nations to be wired for computer access. Near Sofer is a software developer who spends his free time creating useful utilities for Windows. So far, he has more than 100 of them, and you might find some of them to be quite useful. Clearly, I can't describe every one of them at length. Just naming all of them would probably consume all of the time available. So let's take a look at a few of them. Most of the applications do not need to be installed. Just extract them from their zip file and run them. You can narrow the scope from well over 100 to a more manageable group by selecting a category. Password recovery, network monitoring tools, web browser tools, video and audio related, internet utilities, desktop utilities, Outlook and Office utilities, programmer tools, disk utilities, system utilities, and other utilities. The utilities are provided without charge or obligation, but you can make a donation if you find one or more of them to be useful. So let's start by investigating your computer's USB devices. How many are connected to your computer? I thought I might have a dozen or so, but there are 38 active USB devices attached to my computer. USB Device View shows all of the USB devices that are currently connected and devices that were previously connected. Yes, it has information about devices that are no longer connected. USB Device View displays each device's description, type, connection state, serial number, information about when it was connected, and whether it's safe to unplug, firmware and driver version, and more. It's also possible to specify commands that should be run when a USB device is attached or detached, and to have the application create a record of when devices are connected to the computer or disconnected. 
Maybe you wonder which applications start when Windows starts. Use What in Startup to see a list of all the applications that are loaded automatically when Windows boots. For each application, you'll see the startup type, command line string, a product name, file version, company name, and its location in the registry or file system. The startup type is helpful because there are many ways to start an application when Windows starts. Applications can be started by the registry as machine run, machine run once, user run, or user run once. There can also be references in the startup folder for the user or for all users. If an application starts and you don't want it to, figuring out where to look for the launch command can be time-consuming. To disable an unwanted application, choose Disable or Delete. Before deleting a startup application, disable it, restart Windows, and run the machine for a while, maybe a day or two. If disabling the application creates no problems, you can leave it as disabled or go back and delete it. The safer method, obviously, is just to leave it disabled. That gives you the option, if you change your mind, to go back later and enable it. When your computer is just sitting there, you might think that it's idle. That's not the case, though. The CPU is busy, and you probably already knew that. But other components are busy, too. Components such as the disk drives, even when you're not actively working on anything. File Activity Watch lets you keep an eye on what's happening. Run it, and the main window displays all of the read, write, and delete operations made by running applications. The Options menu makes it possible to watch only read events, write events, or delete events. And if you need a fresh view, this gets pretty cluttered after just a few moments, click Ctrl-X to clear the screen. Color coding can be enabled or disabled. Green designates a read operation, yellow is for writes, red shows combined read-write operations, and lines shown in blue reflect delete operations. Each line lists the name of the file affected, the process ID, name, path, read and write counts, the number of bytes written or read, and the times of the first and last read and write actions. How about Bluetooth devices? The Bluetooth viewer utility watches for nearby Bluetooth devices. For each detected Bluetooth device, it displays the device name, Bluetooth address, major device type, minor device type, first detection time, last detection time, and more. If you allow the application to run in the background, it can also notify you when a new Bluetooth device is detected. It'll do that by displaying a balloon in the taskbar or by sounding a beep. The utility allows you to connect to a Bluetooth device. It doesn't send any data to the device, but only attempts to connect for testing. Then it closes the connection. The Bluetooth device you connect to should then ask if you want to accept data from the new device. That would be your computer. If you approve the request, no data will actually be sent, but the test will be shown as successful. And let's also take a look at Driver Viewer. Device drivers are the most troublesome of all Windows software components. Outdated drivers can cause no end of problems, and Driver Viewer is a useful diagnostic tool. The main window displays a list of all loaded drivers on the system. You can then select one or more of the drivers from the list and copy the details of the drivers to the clipboard, save them to a text file or HTML file, or view them as an HTML report in your browser. Double-clicking one of the entries displays a pop-up box with a driver's name and description, beginning and ending addresses in memory, 
the size, load count, type, version, company and product name, driver file location, create and modification dates, and more. Optionally, the program can hide Microsoft drivers, typically they're kept up to date by Microsoft, highlight non-Microsoft drivers, or do both. So there's a lot here to look at. If you need to recover a product key from Windows or any Microsoft application, you'll find a Nearsoft utility that does that. There's a utility that collects information about all installed applications, one that scans the registry, one that helps diagnose the cause of blue screen failures. You'll find apps for nearly every web browser that can show the browser's cache and cookies. There are password recovery tools, a variety of utilities that developers will find useful, network sniffers and diagnostic tools, Wi-Fi analyzers, and utilities that can reveal other network problems. Nearsofer is one of the dwindling number of developers who create small, useful utilities and distribute them for free. Sofer has been operating his site since 2001, and he's created a lot of worthwhile utilities. If you find them useful, why don't you toss a few bucks his way? If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation there are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. short circuits, when Microsoft released Windows 10, we were assured that updates would be provided without charge for the life of the machine. That means we don't have to pay for every new update and hope that it works. Just hope that it works. This policy is good for everybody. Users will always have the current version of Windows, and Microsoft will have to support only the latest version. Some people are still using older versions of the operating system, though some all the way back to Windows 95. Perhaps a few computers are running even earlier versions. That's not a good choice for several reasons, safety and security being the top two. But what happens if you want to update an existing computer that's running Windows 10? In most cases, you won't have a problem if you just add memory or replace a hard drive. Even updating the CPU usually won't cause a problem, but if you replace the motherboard or more than one of the other primary components, Microsoft may tell you the operating system hasn't been activated. Now what? The process of reactivating Windows on an upgraded computer usually isn't difficult or even very time-consuming, but you do need to follow Microsoft's procedures. When installing Windows 10, the digital license associates itself with the device's hardware. So if you make significant hardware changes, such as replacing the motherboard, Windows may no longer find a license that matches your device, and you'll need to reactivate Windows to get it up and running. To reactivate Windows, you'll need either a digital license or a product key. 
To find out which you need, Microsoft recommends that you start by reviewing the activation process. There's a link to that and several other sites that I'll mention this week on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's a good idea to plan ahead. If your computer is currently running version 1607 or later, be sure to link your Microsoft account with the Windows 10 digital license. Doing this allows you to reactivate Windows using the activation troubleshooter whenever you make significant hardware changes. To check, go to Settings, Update and Security, Activation. What you should see near the top of the page is Windows is activated with a digital license linked to your Microsoft account. If you don't see that, make sure this problem is resolved before you replace any hardware. If you have a version of Windows 10 that's earlier than 1607, be sure to update the operating system. There's a link to a description about how to do that, too. After updating to a more recent version of Windows and confirming that the current version is activated, it's time to proceed. If the current version isn't activated, check out Microsoft's Activation Troubleshooter. Before adding the new hardware, link the installed version of Windows to your Microsoft account. And if you haven't set up a Microsoft account, now would be a very good time to do that. The Microsoft account offers a new email address at Outlook.com. You can use that email address if you wish, or just ignore it. Using that account, though, for all of your computers makes synchronizing the computers easy. But another key advantage is making the process of reactivating Windows after a hardware change very easy. If you used a product key to activate Windows, make sure you have the key before continuing. Microsoft explains how to obtain the product key, and you'll find a link to that explanation on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The key is a 25-character string with a dash after every fifth character. So now it's time to install the new hardware and reboot the computer. And make sure the computer is connected to the Internet. If your computer has a digital license, sign in as administrator, navigate to Settings, Update and Security, Activation, Troubleshoot and select I changed hardware on this device recently. Click Next, and then enter your Microsoft account username and password. You'll see a list of devices that are linked to your Microsoft account. Select the checkbox next to This is the device I'm using right now, and click Activate. If you don't see the device in the list of results, Make sure you signed in using the same Microsoft account you associated with the Windows 10 digital license on your device. The other possibility is that you have an activation key. If Windows 10 was not pre-installed on your computer when you bought it and you used a product key to update to Windows 10, you'll need that same product key after the hardware change. You'll find the key on the packaging that was provided with the installation media. Sign in as an administrator, navigate to Settings, Update and Security, Activation, and click Change Product Key. At that point, you need to enter the 25-character code, and then Windows should be activated again. If you have any problems at this stage, whether you have a digital license or a product key, check out Microsoft's troubleshooting steps, and yes, there is a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website.
Chromecast with Google TV is the latest iteration of Google's entry in devices that can make a dumb television smart and a smart television even smarter. The big difference in the latest model is that it comes with a remote control. Previously, I had used an Amazon Fire Stick, and when I switched to a Chromecast device, I missed having the remote control, even though it's possible to cast video from my phone or computer to the television. The new device, at $50, costs less than the 4K version of the previous model. It also comes with a remote control and offers an on-screen menu. All of those are features that the earlier versions lacked. For reasons known only to Google, you have a choice of colors, blue, pink, or white. Google, of course, has its own names for these colors, sky, sunrise, and snow. Does the color really matter, though? After all, the device will hang behind the television. Uh, well, all right, so the remote control will be in plain view, so maybe the color does matter there. And in a world where all remote controls seem to be black, Google offers three non-black colors. For $30 more, you can buy a special Netflix version of the Chromecast with Google TV. It includes a six-month Netflix subscription, so you'll save about $24 if you don't already have a Netflix subscription. Don't expect to have the device in hand anytime soon, though. You can order it right now, but it won't show up until right around the end of the year. A USB-C port can be used to provide power from the included power adapter or from the USB port on your television, if one of those is available on the set. The live TV option supports only YouTube TV, but the remote control offers a voice option so you can tell it what you want to watch. Chromecast takes advantage of a new user interface for Google TV, and content searching includes, aha, recommendations. You won't need a remote control for short circuits. Just head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. People are using online payment systems more these days because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but concerns about being victimized online are inching up. Schools in low-income areas are hard-pressed to provide quality classes online, and that is probably not a big surprise. And 20 years ago, Bill Gates was discounting the need for classrooms in third-world nations to be wired for computer access. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.